This episode of the OCPHA podcast was recorded on June 9th, 2021. I would like to welcome our listeners to this special edition of our podcast supported by our joint legislative committee between the Orange County Society of Health System Pharmacists and the Orange County Pharmacists Association. Today, we have a very special guest, Senator Josh Newman, who represents District 29, which covers parts of Orange County, Los Angeles County, and San Bernardino County. The 29th district includes the cities of Anaheim, Brea, Buena Park, Chino Hills, City of Industry, Cypress, Diamond Bar, Fullerton, La Habra, La Palma, Placentia, Roland Heights, Stanton, Walnut, West Convenient, and my city of Yorba Linda, where I live. Therefore, I am interviewing Senator Newman today, not only as a pharmacist, but also as a constituent. Welcome, Senator Newman. We are so happy to have you on our podcast, and thank you for taking the time today to speak with us about pharmacy, and in particular, about your bill, SB 362, on prioritizing patients over business quotas in pharmacy you introduced in conjunction with CPHA. Thank you for having me. Uh, Before we get into the bill or talk about pharmacy, um, we would like to learn more about you. It looks like you have had a history of service to our country and others prior to serving in the California Senate. You were artillery officer in the United States Army and founded the initiative Armed Force to Workforce to Help Veterans. Please tell us about yourself, your history of service, and your journey to the California Senate. Happy to do that. So first of all, thank you for having me. And I am very grateful for the work I've been able to do with uh, California's pharmacists. But but a little bit about my background. You are right. So after college, uh, I enlisted in the U.S. Army. I served uh, for four years as an artillery officer. In uh, I was in a nuclear artillery unit in South Korea for a year, and then for a couple of years, I was in a conventional artillery unit in the first and eighth field artillery in Hawaii. And I got out in 1990, shortly before the first Gulf War. So, um, you know, very. Uh, I, I think I'm grateful to have had a chance to serve, and you know, I, I think of this my legislative service as, as my second opportunity to serve. The the initiative that you mentioned, uh, Armed Force to Workforce, was a um, an effort that I created in 2012 to try and help young veterans who were coming home from their own service, and, and at that time from uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, and who were having a lot of trouble uh, in California, despite a rebounding economy after the Great Recession finding gainful career-oriented employment. So, you know, as a former Army officer uh, uh, who is well aware of just how talented uh, and valuable the men and women who serve in the armed forces are as employees in the next phase of their lives, um, I thought, you know, that was a worthwhile effort for me to see if I could figure out a better way to connect young vets to employers in the Southern California area who would benefit uh, from all that they had to offer. And and it was really through that, that having gotten more involved in Orange County Veterans Affairs and, and, and then uh, at the state level as well, uh, that led kind of directly to my decision uh, in 2015 to run uh, for what was going to be an open seat in 2016 in, in uh, the California Senate, representing the 29th State Senate District. And and you did a great job uh, with the cities that I represent. So thanks for doing that, because I'm always afraid somebody will ask me as a quiz question, uh, which of the 16 cities, and, and, and uh, it's not always easy to remember them <laughs> all. Uh, so good to be here with you today. Thank you. And we, we are very um, excited to have you and thank you for your, for your service and, and continued service to, to not only to our country, but to um, the state of California, in particular to my district. So thank you very much. So as you know, you know, 
COVID is, has been at the center of our universe um, for the past o- over a year, right? Mm-hmm. The pandemic, it's brought many challenges to our everyday lives, but with thankfully with the COVID vaccine that's now available, there's been some return to normalcy. Um, for example, uh, being able to see loved ones and eat at restaurants. How um, is the vaccine rollout going in your district? What impact have pharmacists made in helping your constituents get vaccinated? And is there anything further we as pharmacists can do to help? So I know there's quite a bit of questions at one time. No, I, and, 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 and so terrific question in, in context. You're absolutely right. I mean, it, it has been an immensely challenging year more uh, since the uh, you know sort of the the, the beginning in earnest of, of the pandemic, um, and and thankfully. As of the beginning of this year, you know, we now have access to vaccines, uh, which were developed in a, in a remarkably short time, all things considered. But it has been challenging uh, getting those vaccines rolled out. And so uh, I actually have the, the, the privilege of serving in the California State Senate as, as the chair of uh, a committee. It's called the uh, Senate Special Committee on Pandemic Emergency Response. And in that capacity, uh, I've been working very closely with the administration, with the with the governor's team on a whole bunch of pandemic-related issues. And so as of the last couple of months, vaccines uh, have been front and center. And so there really have been two phases uh, to the vaccine effort uh, since the, you know, the approval uh, of first the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and then the, the J&J one-shot uh, vaccine. And in that first phase, as you recall, there was a ton of pent-up demand. And so there were, uh, you know, there were more people wanting to vaccines than we had access to vaccine doses. Uh, and that presented a set of challenges. And so we were very lucky, I think, at that time to have pharmacists directly engaged via a federal program to get a vaccine to skilled nursing facilities uh, and, and other uh, congregate living areas, where, you know, particularly around the elderly uh, and the immunocompromised, uh, to make sure that we got them vaccinated as quickly as possible, because that population was the most impacted by, by the COVID virus, and especially as it related to fatalities. Um, and so uh, pharmacists were absolutely essential there. Uh, but now in this second phase of the vaccine process, we're, we're in sort of a, a very different situation where uh, now there is adequate supply. Uh, but the challenge right now is is, is con- con- convincing uh, and in some cases finding uh, Californians to accept the vaccine, right? So we're, we're at a state right now where um, vaccine levels uh, are actually really good, right? And, 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 and that takes the form, of, you know, there's about almost 70% of Californians have received at least one dose so far. And, and as a result, it, the levels of uh, cases have gone way down, the positivity rates have gone way down, and, and, and probably most importantly for the healthcare system, uh, it's taken a ton of stress off of our hospitals uh, so that they can, they can manage uh, the, the very small, low numbers right now. So California actually has some of the best numbers in the country, and we can be very proud of that. But pharmacists are absolutely essential in this last phase uh, of making it easy for Californians to, to get uh, the vaccine, but also serving as trusted resources for those members of our communities that that are you know apprehensive uh, or are uncertain, you know, don't have enough information uh, to confidently go and and accept the vaccine in the same way that they've done in the past for flu vaccines. Uh, and so, you know, for that, we are really relying upon pharmacists, particularly uh, you know retail pharmacists. To be the frontline, uh, you know, uh, authority, authoritative figures uh, to make sure that that Californians who are, for whatever reason, haven't yet got vaccinated, can do that, do so easily, and do that with the assurance that it is safe uh, and and convenient. Okay. Thank you, and thank you for for all the efforts that you're doing with with the vaccinations. I've I've seen firsthand, and, and you know, when I'm going out in Yorba Linda, I'm like, this this feels like things are starting to to look like 
you're getting back to where you wanted things to be. So hopefully more people will start feeling comfortable and we'll get even more of the population vaccinated. So yes, I, com- I completely agree with you that the second phase, it, it, you know, we're seeing the same things. I, my practice side is that as a local hospital and there was, as you mentioned, so much more de- demand previously, like people trying to get it. And now it's, there's no lines. So like there used to be so. Um, thank you for sharing that with, with us. So, which takes me to, you know, there's, there, as you mentioned, so there's, there's actually numerous studies illustrating pharmacists' involvement in immunizations. So last year, CPHA sponsored AB 1710, which granted pharmacists the authority to administer COVID-19 vaccinations. So without that, um, we wouldn't be in the position of helping to alleviate the current pandemic as the vaccine was not on the ASIP list. And I believe it's with the CDC before it could um, get approved for pharmacists to administer. That's usually how even after FDA approval, it could take six months or more for pharmacists to be able to give the vaccine. So the current uh, bill, AB 1064, supports this initiative for vaccines, that um, the bill would increase access to vaccination to California residents by authorizing pharmacists to administer all FDA approved vaccinations for residents three years and older. So um, what are your thoughts on AB 1064? So, I, you know, I will not surprise you to hear I, I'm very supportive, right? And so uh, I think it's important as context here to note that, that one of the central tenets of the Affordable Care Act uh, passed in 2008-2009 uh, was to extend access uh, and in, improve affordability uh, for Americans across the board, access to healthcare uh, and reduce the costs and the barriers to healthcare. And as a, a fundamental element within that concept was was the the idea of enrolling pharmacists uh, as you know part of that healthcare team uh, and so to me it's only natural that we should extend uh, you know pharmacists ability uh, to administer vaccines as, as part of that uh, that role within kind of the larger continuum of care and so uh, you know you know I think it's it's sort of obvious uh, to note that you know, giving a vaccine if you're if you're trained and 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 properly licensed, there aren't real big differences in, in you know so how the vaccine is actually administered. And the, the big difference, for instance, with COVID is 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 how the actual vaccine doses are handled, right? You know, because there's uh, some very technical issues around you know the 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 um, you know very cold storage requirements, you know, the supply chain. Uh, but we've gotten very good at that, and and now it's important. Uh, not just for COVID, but for you know lots of different kind of immunizations, uh, is to make sure that f- pharmacists who are trusted providers and who know their communities probably you know as well or better than most uh, that they 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 are authorized to give uh, you know all the vaccines that people need because that that makes it a one stop proposition. Uh, and as I mentioned before, uh, it gives their patients the assurance uh, that they are getting a safe vaccine from a, you know, a competent and, and properly licensed practitioner. Uh, and so I, I'm encouraged and I'm looking forward to voting uh, for the bill. So which takes us from, from vaccines to screening. Uh, there are two um, competing bills regarding pharmacist screening currently. Uh, SB 409 allows pharmacists to provide COVID and flu tests. Um, AB 1328 would grant pharmacists the authority to provide all CLIA wave tests as well as other patient assessments. So um, do you believe at some point that these bills will need to be reconciled? And how do you see the parties working together to do so? 
Right. So, so this is actually not an uncommon occurrence in the California legislative process, right? So, so we have, I happen to be in the Senate and, you know, we, it's a bicameral legislature, as, as they say. And, and so our counterparts are, are, are colleagues in the assembly. Um, and it, it, it's quite often that, you know, two bills will overlap or, or in many cases have the same general goals uh, with some differences in details. And so uh, it should not be hard Assuming both of these bills, you know, pass through both houses and then get sent to the governor uh, to to reconcile, um, you know, you know, any differences here. And so there's a number of ways to do it. The the easiest way to do it is, you know, in concurrence, the concurrence process as as bills get amended as they come back uh, to one house or the other. Quite often, you'll take the elements that are in one but not the other uh, and amend that you know, that other bill to include all of the provisions so that, that everything is properly covered. Uh, and then both houses will then vote on the amended bill. Uh, and then hopefully the governor will sign it. But I, I, don't, I don't foresee that being a problem. In fact, it's probably, it's a good thing because it proves that both houses of the legislature are actually working in the right direction. Fantastic. So um, a couple of months ago, I, we had an introductory call. And uh, when you met with my colleagues and I, um, I remember distinctly how impressed I was by your background knowledge of pharmacy practice. There, you know, I've, I've met with some legislators where we have to describe kind of like how, who we are and what we do, but it sounded like you had a great background knowledge of pharmacy practice. And, and you had actually mentioned you had already toured some of the local pharmacies in your district. So please tell us more about your experiences with pharmacies and, and pharmacists. Uh, so you're, you're being probably too kind here. But I, so, you know, I, I've had uh, the opportunity as a member of the legislature now to serve on um, the Business Professions and Economic Development Committee, uh, which has oversight over, you know, a whole bunch of licensing and, and sort of practice issues, including pharmacies and pharmacists. Uh, and through that, I think I've gotten reasonably knowledgeable uh, about your industry and, 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 and probably just importantly developed a real appreciation uh, for the, the, the value that pharmacists bring. Um, and so, you know, we talked a little bit about pharmacy benefit managers and, you know, in our incredibly complicated healthcare system over the last, you know, 10, 12 years, you know, a, a particular role has arisen and, you know, filled by PBMs as they're referred to. Uh, and these are in many cases, you know, really large companies that, that develop an expertise both in supply chain management, but also in kind of pricing and administration. And that is valuable, uh, but it also creates some tensions uh, sort of within the larger pharmaceutical economy uh, as to kind of who controls what part uh, of the process. And that's a particular relevance to pharmacists who, in trying to fill prescriptions uh, for their patients, uh, quite often find themselves limited uh, by, uh, you know, what uh, medications a PBM carries and kind of the pricing associated with that. So that's that's something that that the legislature has taken up over the last couple of years. Uh, and I think it's important to make sure that, you know, not only does the, you know, the kind of the pharmacy economy work properly, but we want to make sure that it works well for both patients, uh, but just as I think importantly for, for pharmacists who, who take a, a, you know, an oath uh, a professional oath when when you are licensed, uh, and part of that oath is is a commitment to providing the you know the best uh, and most thoughtful care to the patients in your care. And and, and that that was the other thing too when we met was um, I started to to just start explaining PBMs to you, and you were like, oh, I got this. Like I was, <laughs> you knew more about PBMs than I did, and I found out why. Uh, you actually previously chaired a special committee on PBM oversight. Is that correct? Yeah, that is true. And I, I actually, we, we had a hearing that was that was not only about PBMs, but it was about, you know, workloads and stress uh, among pharmacists, particularly in, in retail pharmacy chains. And so, you know, in the name of efficiency, 
you, you know, a, a lot of these players, PBMs and some of the corporations that increasingly centralized, but who provide uh, the bulk of, of medications to Americans, um, you know, they're, they're always pursuing efficiency and, and nothing wrong with that. Uh, but one of the, the, the byproducts of that was, was placing uh, pharmacists who were often understaffed, who were working long shifts, often alone for, you know, sometimes as long as 16 hours, putting them in a position where, you, you know, they were, they, it was compromising not just their ability to provide uh, good care, but also kind of, the, you know, their mental health and, and affecting their, their work conditions. So, uh, you know, that was part of, of, of the work that the committee did at that time. Thank you for that. And and again, that was that was the other thing that impressed me during our call that we had last time, because that was the your understanding of PBMs was 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 so great. Um, so uh, we're, we're going to go to uh, last but not least uh, is is your bill is SB 362 prioritizing patients over business quotas. Um, so please tell us more about the bill. So, so I I think I may have touched on it just a little bit earlier, but but SB three six two is an effort to ensure that licensed pharmacists in California uh, are given the authority and the latitude to provide the best possible care to their clients, to their patients, and in in order to ensure that is possible, the bill would prohibit their uh, employers, right? In in most cases, you know, large retail pharmacy chains. Uh, from assigning to them quotas or other performance metrics that that are not directly related to quality of care. A good example would be uh, where your pharmacist, as part of the the interaction, uh, has been charged with by their you know, kind of the, by the corporation uh, of enrolling as many people as possible into, for instance, you know, automatic uh, prescription renewals. Um, and you know, there's nothing sort of you know inherently wrong with that. Uh, but what in total, what that does, you know, one, once you you put too much emphasis on the business side, um, it is clearly taking away uh, from the the sort of clarity of mind and and bandwidth of pharmacists uh, to do all the other things that are so necessary uh, and important to their patients as as they prescribe medications and ensure that that a patient is uh, properly taking those medications. So so that's that's what SB three six two does. Uh, it makes sure is that there's nothing uh, in a pharmacist day we hope uh, that will get in the way uh, of of doing. Uh, you know, so fulfilling their professional oaths, uh, and in so doing, doing you know all of these many responsibilities that we've given them uh, over the last several years. How did you decide to author this bill? So you know, I, I, I'm you know having done some work with the industry and, and having worked closely with uh, some of the members of, of UFCW, the, the United Food and Commercial Workers, who are who are represent who represent licensed pharmacists. Um, I'm, you know, I, I guess I've I've gained a some insight into working conditions uh, and and a real sympathy uh, for some of the challenges that pharmacists are facing, uh, and so it was it was an easy choice for me uh, to bring this bill, having consulted with uh, you know a bunch of industry participants, because as I said, the the end goal is not only valid uh, as it relates to pharmacists, but it's 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 equally important. Uh, for all of all of the people who depend on pharmacists for good quality care, uh, and so so far, um, you know, we've, so far so good. So the bill has now uh, made its way through the committee process in the Senate and is is making its way uh, to the Assembly for the next phase. Thank you, thank you again for for introducing this bill. 
And um, thank you again for supporting the pharmacy profession and in turn our patients. So that's the ultimate thing is our patients and, and they're the people in our, in our community. I, I truly um, appreciate all the great work you're doing. Is, is there anything else you would like to add for our audience or anything further we can do to support you and our community? So as it relates to my bill, um, you know, any of your members, I, I would welcome their participant participation, their support by way of uh, letters, emails to, you know, the relevant committees as, as the legislative process goes on. Uh, and even, uh, you know, as, as we, as I give testimony and as, and I'm sure I'll have uh, the support of some of your members in providing testimony as well as to as to the importance of the bill uh, and the details within the bill. Uh, it would be terrific if if you know your members could call in. There's always uh, an opportunity for that during testimony uh, and and voice their support uh, of the bill and its goals as well. More generally, I you know I'm like I said I've I've been impressed uh, working alongside uh, you know your industry and, and and all the professionals within it. And so I, I'm glad to be an ally. Uh, in in all of your kind of larger efforts uh, to provide the best possible care to your patients. Uh, and my commitment as, as a public servant is to make sure that pharmacists are given uh, not only the tools, uh, but the, the optimal working conditions and the respect and dignity to do that. So uh, thanks for having me here today, but thank you for all your work as well. Thank, thank you. Uh, thank you again, Senator Newman, for, for taking the time to speak with us today about pharmacy, um, your bill, um, SB 3621, prioritizing patients over business quotas. Uh, so for our audience members, if uh, you're interested in reading more about the bills um, discussed today, please see the links and attachments with this podcast. Um, we will also provide further information about how you can email, um, send letters to the relevant committees if um, you would like to call in. Um, we'll provide um, contact information where um, our audience can reach out to us and we can we can guide them further um, for that. Um, so there is also a link if you're interested in seeing who your legislator is and for reaching out to your legislators regarding any bill you would like for them to support. Um, we can all help make a difference and move our profession forward through advocacy. And um, thanks again for listening to this special edition of the podcast supported by the Joint Legislative Committee between the Orange County Society of Health System Pharmacists and the Orange County um, Pharmacists Association. Thank you.